0: Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas
1: Barker. The book title is Citizen's Guide to P3 Projects, subtitled The Legal Primer for Private or Public-Private Partnership. And joining me from California near San Francisco is the author, Ernest C. Brown Esquire, PE Professional Engineer. Welcome, sir, to the program.
2: Jay, thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to the... The interview and talking about the book, uh, 300,
1: over 300 pages. You're in a what I would consider a not 300 pages, but 254 pages. Uh, what I would consider to be at least from a layman's standpoint, a very complex industry. This book deals with a complex subject. Uh, what What motivated you to write this?
2: Jay, I've been in the uh, civil engineering and, and uh, construction industry for my entire life. I started out with my my uh, father and uncle who had a uh, civil uh, civil, structural, and chemical engineering uh, engineering firm. And it, they did work in California, Nevada, and Idaho. So I grew up in the business. And as I uh, grew uh, through the ranks uh, in law and then some major uh, international contractors, I started to look again at America's infrastructure and knowing that it's in terrific trouble in terms of uh, bridges that are failing and uh, needs uh, for everything from hospitals to um, our our critical care, our our first responders, they don't have what they need to get the job done. Mm. And I think even more than that, as I I moved into uh, consulting with uh, Design Build and then P3 um, Enterprises, I learned that uh, public-private partnerships are really a remarkable way to achieve a lot of those goals.
1: And P3 actually stands for public-private partnerships, correct?
2: That's right. And it's actually a very old uh, approach here in the United States, although people talk about it as being new. The first Supreme court case we ever had in the United States uh, on uh, public infrastructure involved concessions for, for building a a bridge and then a competing bridge over the Charles river in Boston. And that case was 1837. So this is a a approach to public private uh, building, which has been around a long time, Erie canal, is a great example of that and then in recent times uh you know the last 40 or 50 years particularly people have done a lot of design build work um and they've gotten a little bit away from the the idea that the government designs it uh and then the uh contractor builds it and then complains about the drawings we've gone beyond that with design build and now p3 adds the finance component
1: and P3, uh, for most of us, uh, is is a concept that may be out of reach. You have designed this because of your background and in your writing skills and your expertise. There must be a rather, I would call it, a narrow market for those who, who will find this, uh, will gravitate towards the content here. Or is it a very specialized uh, area?
2: Well, you know, that's why it's called the Citizen's Guide, because any, anything from the smallest little footbridge that might connect uh, a residential area to a, to a school, uh, anything that uh, involves public transportation, any sort of um, uh, social need, including uh, health services, those are opportunities where cities, especially now with corona affecting uh, not only a health issue, but a national recession, and the cities are being hit extremely hard. Yes. Uh, so they, they need uh, sources of funding. So within our communities, almost every individual has uh, something that they know is not working, and uh, a public-private partnership, which an individual can propose, uh, talk to a contractor, a designer, a banker, and to their public uh, uh, entities, put together a program whereby private financing and uh, private management skills can combine with the government's ability to obtain permits and and environmental approvals. And of course, you know, right away and all that. And you can create amazing projects, even individuals uh, throughout the the country. So I think that uh, it's a broad statement, but any individual who thinks that there's a problem in their community could benefit from this book.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Again, from a, just a superficial overview, anybody that mentions the word engineering to me, at least in my personality and my training, uh, my mind gets into a spin. So the fact that you've explained this, that perhaps uh, from what you're describing, even a, a relatively small contracting company, if they are skilled, can participate in the P3 projects.
2: Well, that's really true. And let me give you the smallest example uh, of a real project. And that is somebody wanted to build a library. They wanted to have a, you know, essentially a a modern library that had computer screens and great internet access. So kids and, and, and people of all ages could go in during the day and and use a real library, but the city didn't have any money to do it. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they had some vacant land, you know, most cities have old parking lots, things of that sort. Um, so they had the vacant land they The city decided that they would uh, donate the land. The developer said, "Fine, I'll build a um, a, a multi-story uh, office building, but you get the first floor, and you basically then uh, for for the lifetime of the building, we will heat it. We will ventilate it. We will provide security. Uh, you will have that facility and uh, and at the end of the the period. Um, this particular case, I don't know, the, I can't remember the, the number of years it was, but they essentially ended up with the city um, being able to uh, own the building. That's, so there's a, oh. these sorts of these sorts of opportunities exist. And essentially, if you think about it, 85 percent of the nation's land is owned by government. Hmm. So the, the government, when they have land, that can be their equity. That can be their contribution, even if it's a small parcel. And then, again, what's the need? So, again, it has to be carefully negotiated. We don't want to give anything away as a public agency. Absolutely not. Uh, we don't want to give anything to a developer that they don't, you know, deserve or earn. But we are—we have all of these assets and land that are unused, and we have the needs that can be met.
1: Well, among the chapters, you deal with uh, financing and structuring finances. Uh, That, to me, would be a very complex issue, uh, getting through the red tape and the other challenges. How have you been able to simplify this for the reader?
2: I'm really glad you asked that, Jay, because I worked um, first of all on one of the largest P3 projects in in the the history of the United States, which is the Presidio Parkway project, which Mm. is a 1.3 billion dollar project, which changed all the roadways and bridges that that lead from the um, uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco into town and through the Presidio, which is one of the most magnificent uh, uh, public parks uh, in America. So it's a wonderful project. So I had that experience. But, you know, the the smallest project can be one that can benefit. But one of the problems, as you say, how do you start? Hmm. So I was asked about three years ago, They had a committee for something called Consensus Docs, and it's a a group of, I think it's 45 or 50 large um, associations around the country. And what we did was we put together a template, a basic, simple template for public-private partnership agreements. And one of them is a public-private partnership uh, agreement between the public agency and the developer. And the second one is the long-term maintenance agreement because public-private partnerships are the design the construction, the financing, and generally the long-term operations and maintenance, like that uh, library example I gave you.
1: Nice.
2: And so we have these standard documents that have been approved by, as I say, about 45 national associations. Uh, actually, I think A- 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 ASCE may not be part of it, but there are 45 of these, and they mechanical association contractors, all sorts of designers, all sorts of people involved in that project, in that joint project. And it really gives people a starting spot to be able to, to begin with, here's a document, let's fill in the blanks, and let's propose it to public agency and see where we can take this thing. Oh, beautiful.
1: This is transnational, too, if, if I might uh, look at it from that perspective. You, you, this, although you are located in the United States, the concepts here are concepts that will work anywhere, correct?
2: Well, and indeed, uh, these partnerships are much more prevalent. Um, internationally than they have been in the United States, Canada builds virtually all of their hospitals this way. They have a national health system, but all of their hospitals are built with these public private partnerships, as is their national intelligence center, it's sort of like the NSA of, of uh, Canada yes. that was built as a public private partnership in addition, uh, there are lots of water projects and and other types of projects have been built. Because it turns out there's a lot of, of public um, expenditures that are already committed. So cities and counties are they have pension plans, they have five-year budgets, and they really don't have any flexibility. But there's an enormous amount of, of uh, private capital that's available, and it seeks you know a reasonable return. So you combine the public land, the public ability of uh, public entities to get approvals to be able to make a project happen in a, in a rational way combine that with uh, uh, private engineering and and consulting talent to to make the project occur and at the end of the day you've got a great public project.
1: Phenomenal. Now Mr. Brown, as an engineer, professional engineer, extensive background, a lot of I would say most engineers have a, a relatively detailed personality. I mean, detailed mind. They're able to to deal with uh, the get in the weeds, as some people would would describe it. Your book, 254 pages. Was it complicated to to assemble all of the history from your background and put it into written form?
2: You know, it's for writing. Uh, I've always enjoyed it, and the other book that I've written, which is called uh california infrastructure projects which is now in its fourth printing mm. um also by uh iUniverse as our publisher um that started out with about 20 professional papers that i'd given addresses and speeches i'd given to different professional groups and i sort of put them in an order that made sense and then edited it and then huge, huge amount of research later and then many updates so that's the way that evolved this one we basically said look There's a big history here that nobody knows about. Let's talk about the history. Let's talk about the successful projects that have already occurred throughout the United States uh, that uh, will be of interest. Talk about some of the international projects, but then let's try to make it a cookbook. Let's try to make it a step-by-step guide and then tell them what the risks are. So we did all that and it turned out to be fairly easy to write. And then I had uh, my staff do a tremendous amount of research, uh, both the, the legal side and some of the historical side and when it all came together we kind of stood back and said, you know, that's a great little book and really we wish had <laughs> we wish we had, had this book before we started to build some of the other public private partnerships we've been involved in. It that's would have been a,
1: a great help. Amazing. And I understand and maybe incorrect, but was this assembled and, and put together in a six week period?
2: Well, no, it was it's interesting. We had been working on doing sort of a draft for about Three years okay. and um, I had a large uh, uh, arbitration that settled and so I had this six-week period and because of the way that the arbitration was scheduled we'd all been paid a fixed fee in advance it was a very very nice arrangement so essentially what happened was I had six weeks where I could go scuba diving in Indonesia or something <laughs> but instead I decided to finish the fourth edition of of uh, California infrastructure's book which is about a 475-page book, and then uh, finished this one as well. So I got the two books done in that six-week period, but they were from pretty thorough drafts to get it to completion.
1: Amazing. Your real passion underneath or the underlying theme here is building fabulous projects. You've described it that way. The title of this book, again, is Citizen's Guide to P3 Projects, a legal primer for public-private partnerships. My guest author, Ernest C. Brown, Esquire, P.E. Professional Engineer, Sir, where can my listeners get a copy of your book?
2: Well, it's it's available through Amazon. It's available through Barnes and Noble. It is available on um, Kindle, soft cover and hardcover. And uh, we are probably going to end up doing a nice video series out of it too. So it's available in many places, and of course, our universe. Uh, has their collection uh, there as well iUniverse.com
1: Excellent, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story Again, uh, listeners, you can do a search under the author's name Ernest C. Brown B-R-O-W-N and uh, find this book and anything else that uh, perhaps will be published in the future. Sir, thank you for joining me and sharing your story
2: Thanks Jay, this
1: has been terrific My pleasure for iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcast cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T O G I N E T R A D I O dot com.
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio.
1: Greetings, Fry Universe. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Conversations With Myself. Sounds like a book I would have written, maybe, but it's a short, introspective discussions about life. And joining me from California is the author, Michael William Peterson. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you very much. Your book is is a relatively short read, and uh, I think it's, I would say it's a reflection of a lot of the thoughts that every human yeah if they are thinking people, uh, go through uh, your first one having to deal, your first uh, I guess passage or chapter. I, I don't know if you'd call them chapters. Uh, talking about road rage is certainly something I can identify with. Uh, share with me a little of the uh, of, of how this, this came to be the genesis of this. You are sort of retired, if I understand your current status, but uh, for whatever yeah, reason decided true. you were not happy with sitting around and decided to write this book. Why this book and why now? Well,
4: uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Um, I was out playing golf with my friends one day, and as I swung the club and hit it, it went way right. Mm. And I said, Michael, why are you doing that? And then a voice came back to me saying, well, because you have a habitual slice, and that's the way you're, you're aimed to go. And so it was like another person was sitting there talking to me and I said, you know, this happens in a lot in when you have different situations, you talk to yourself and a different person comes up or a different personality comes up with the answer. And I got to thinking about that and I wrote a couple of things, especially about road rage and road rage was my first, uh, first part of the book because I have a real issue with people who do really stupid things when they're driving
5: cars.
4: (laughs) And so it has helped me to understand that even in my, quote, perfect persona, which would be Michael, uh, you still have items where things that come up to you and you, uh, you react differently than you normally would. And so that's kind of the basis for the book and the reasons why I did it. Um, I wrote the book based on purely on my own experiences and not on anyone. You know, I didn't draw from any uh, stories or issues or whatever from in today's uh, society, which are many.
5: Yes. But
4: I, I chose specific talki- topics that would allow me to express the different personalities or different personas of, that exist in my life. And uh, it it happens when you have a different situation that you a or maybe not feel comfortable with, or b you just don't want to deal with right then. But something comes up, and and you deal with it. So it's a reflection of of my mind, and and the book takes place entirely in my mind, and um, it's just a reflection of the different things and different experiences that we have and how we handle them differently and um it's it's meant jay it's meant to be a a humorous um in most instances because i try to, i tend to approach everything with a sense of humor and whether or not everybody else thinks it's funny or humorous, I, I have no idea. But <laughs> at least I did, and and I found it, and that's the reason why there's a a person by the name of Wom yeah, in there.
1: Wow. So. Anyway, well, your background—your your background as a, an accountant or in, in the accounting industry and dealing with numbers and figures—a w- a very detailed type thing. I don't know what the word would be to describe it, but my my assumption or presumption of people who are detail oriented is that their sense of humor is uh, not on the front burner that often, and. To find a book that has been written by someone with with, with finance and accounting in their history and yet have a uh, personality that bubbles to the surface, I, I think, is, is a charming uh, discovery, uh, at least on my part.
4: Well, thank you. Uh, the, uh, I remember one uh, Wall Street Journal article 25 years ago came up and uh, said that uh, whenever they heard laughter coming from the accounting department, they went in to find out what was wrong <laughs> or what they were So you're absolutely right. Sometimes we in the accounting profession don't have that. uh, We're kind of drab.
1: Well, Bob Bob Newhart, I guess if I were to look at someone that's prominent and had a background in finance, uh, you know, he's definitely a a very humorous individual with a wonderful sense of humor. So you fall in that category perhaps. Have you done stand-up yet? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Have you done any stand up comedy
4: I, I Bob Newhart was one of my idols for, i'm sorry
1: i was I was asking whether or not you've uh, taken to the stage you with your material i I was wondering if you'd taken to the stage uh, with your material
4: oh no 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 absolutely not <laughs> um, the uh, as I, as I was saying bob newhart is is one of my idols uh, because he has kind of a droll sense of humor that not everybody quite understands um, until you really think about it. And that's kind of uh, a lot of what, I, what my writing is, is that hopefully you can see the humor in most things that we as human beings don't see humor in. Yes. Because I am I'm absolutely convinced that we choose how we as human beings react or act to any type of situation. And the best way to deal with life is to look at it and say, "You know, I'll deal with this in my own way, and I choose to deal with it and looking at it from a sense of uh, where is the humor in this?" Because um, I'm always reminded of the of the comment that said um, you know uh, God has a sense of humor." Mm-hmm. And how do I know this because he created created all of you, <laughs> and that to me is a is a really prime example of of what it is that we as human beings if we looked at the if we looked at the humor um in most situations, they wouldn't be as dire or drastic now. Yes, I understand that there are things that are happening, especially now in our society that aren 't particularly humorous but if we as human beings looked at each other uh, with the same type of uh, um, compassion that we look at ourselves in when we make mistakes or we do stupid things, then the world would be a lot better off. And a lot of times that takes a little bit of humor to look at somebody and say, you know, here's what you did. If I did that, would you think that was idiotic or funny? Yeah, <laughs> so right. uh, that's the whole gist, gist of my thinking. I think. Uh,
1: one cha- anyway, one chapter that confuses me. I ramble. Well, oh, that's all right. One chapter or one heading that confuses me only from the standpoint of humor is the word taxes. How do you find humor in taxes?
4: <laughs> well, <clears throat> having been a um, an accountant and finance guy, and having dealt with people not in a public setting, but as a CFO of a company of a number of companies, sometimes when we do our taxes, it can be very humorous mm. uh, because some things we, for example, if I uh, if I'm a CFO of a company and I see somebody and he's a salesman and he. Uh, puts down that he, as part of his um, um, expenses for the month in going out and trying to find new customers, is taking uh, his client to a brothel. Uh To me, that's humorous. (laughs) And to me, that also says you don't quite understand uh, what it is that the company is trying to do. So even in taxes, I, I think there is... A little not much humor, but there there is a a way to to look at it from the standpoint of you know taxes are they're going to be with us we can choose to um, accept them and look at them from a different point of view, or we can grumble and gripe and moan and complain and Say that I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote these people out of office next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's your choice as a human being. You can choose to react exactly how you want, and. I try to find humor in that, and even taxes. I thought there was a little bit of humor.
1: <laughs> I would say little, not but, much, uh, not much, That's but some. some. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred eighty-eight yeah. pages. Uh, that must have taken a considerable amount of time uh, to to produce, uh, or or was it a fairly quick read, or or a, a quick um, assembly of your thoughts into book form?
4: You know, the hardest part, Jay, was uh, the hardest part was really trying to. Uh, decide what topics I wanted to use, and once uh, once I found the topic, um, the only hard, the, the really hard ones to write uh, were the road rage because I didn't want to get too over the top, and the the, the very last one on on God, hmm. um, because I am a Christian, I'm a person who believes in God quite strongly, and those took a little bit more. Um, Time and thinking about how should I? How do you make a humor? How do you make humor out of God? <laughs> you know, and uh, it's a it's something that I thought about. Yet I think that I came up fairly uh, close to a, a reasonable rep- representation of what um, the the relationship between God and human and human beings really is. And so yeah. it. Didn't take me a whole lot of time once I decided on the uh on the particular topic um the one that I felt was most hard to do was my my top my chapter on women mm. and the reason that I felt that was the most difficult to do is that I didn't want to offend anybody right, but on the other hand, there are differences between men and women and there are some humorous differences between men and women and um if you've read that chapter you you'll see that one of the things that i poke at poke fun at is that men don't seem to understand what women are thinking and that has nothing to say bad about men and it does certainly has nothing to say bad to say bad about women it's just um, something that i came up with and um like I say, all these thoughts are my thoughts, trying to make humor out of certain things. And But the there's nothing in the book that was really meant to be offensive or, um, you know, to call people by different names or different terms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we are human beings, and uh, I just see the humor in men, I see the humor in women, and I see... Uh, uh, humor and yeah, just about everything that I try to do.
1: Now that so, that anyway. in it, that in itself is commendable that you do have that outlook on life because uh, there are a lot of serious things that can distract us and detract from our joy. Yeah. This this book obviously was uh, was also a gift of joy from your heart to others uh, in the way that it's been put together because you don't just um, observe other people; you're actually as you have uh, stated in the in the in the title, it's conversations with Myself uh, that I- is introspective in its in its own uh, right. So thank you for sharing your story and your your information and your uh, your humor with the world. We definitely need it today. And the book, because well, it has you. so many chapters and different topics, I think it's one that uh, could be used as a reference point for anyone that's going through a tough time and wants to get cheered up a little bit or just wants to get another perspective. So I, I think it's beautifully done. Uh, 160, 100, almost 188 88 pages, that in itself is uh, qu- quite a uh, an accomplishment. The title of the book, again, is Conversations with Myself, Short, Introspective Discussions yeah. About Life, and the author, Michael yeah. William Peterson, has joined me from California. Michael, where do my listeners get a no. copy of this?
4: Okay, they can order online from um, Amazon uh, Books, And also, Barnes & Noble has them online.
1: Have you uh, developed a website as yet?
4: They have one for me, uh, iUniverse does, called Conversations with Myself. Now, Jay, let me say one thing. Absolutely. Conversations with Myself was something that I, the title that I thought was okay. Then, after the book was published, I found, found out that there was a book called Conversations with Myself, that was done by Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. So I don't want any of your listeners to confuse the two. Trust me. Um, I did not mean, I did not know this until after the fact, but uh, Nelson Mandela has always been a uh, one of those heroes of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did not, by any stretch of the imagination, know that my book was titled the same as his. So all your listeners, don't make the mistake of buying... Nelson's book, or, or actually do buy them, because he's his a great book. But mine is Conversations with Myself, the same as Nelson Mandela's, but it's by Michael William Peterson.
1: Yes. They can do a search under your name, Michael William Peterson, and find yeah. this book and how to get a hold of it. And with uh, our conversation, my impression is that this is probably not the last book that you'll have penned. Uh, have you got anything else in the works right now?
4: Strangely enough, I have a, a book that I've got about three quarters done called ah, Budgeting is Not a Four Letter Word. and It takes <laughs> my accounting and finance background and makes a, uh, and tries to tell people how to do a budget if they wanted to. I've also written the first couple of chapters of more conversations with myself. Uh, plus, I've also got about halfway through a. Basically a biography of myself that basically has the same uh, personality in it that uh, that the other books, books do. So I'm trying to keep busy.
1: You definitely are. I'm trying that's, to keep busy. That's commendable. Thank you for sharing your story. Perhaps we'll visit in the future and talk about uh, something else that's been completed and introduced to the public. Again, this book is titled Conversations with so. Myself, and it's Michael William Peterson is the author. Thank you, sir, for sharing your story with us today. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker.